Good to see you this morning in our time of worship together. I was, uh, you can find all, anything you want to or any kind of information you want to on the internet. You know that? Some stuff you don't want to know. Uh, this week, uh, I did a little Google search and I put in the words, why, what people worship. What people worship. You know how many links there are to, to that question, what people worship? <laughs> 47,800,000. I uh, looked at every one of them. No, I didn't. Uh, but I, it was interesting because today as we look at this whole thing of, uh, of learning some things today from God's Word, uh, the question we're going to look at is this whole thing of uh, what God do you worship? And as I looked at the links, it was amazing to me to find, um, you know, you would think it's mostly about things that are legitimate, but it's amazing in the mix of all the things that people worship, what you will find when you put in those simple words, what people worship. Uh, people worship all kind of bizarre things. I mean, I'm talking about whole sites dedicated to worship of cats and dogs, of uh, of uh, different types of uh, religious systems I never even heard of before. Uh, worshiping, you just go through and do it sometime. If you want to just be amused about what people worship, it's just it's just amazing. Today, as we are in uh, the book of First Kings. And we began last week looking at the, at the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings 17. Today we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bible, you might want to turn to that chapter in the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, and we'll be looking at selected verses from that. As we do it, uh, look at that today, though, uh, the whole thing about worship is this. Above anything else in our lives, God wants to have all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds, all of our strength. He wants all of us. He wants us to worship just Him. Matter of fact, when God laid out the Ten Commandments... Remember what the very first commandment was? You shall have no other gods before you. Uh, God alone wants our worship. When Jesus was asked the question in the New Testament, what is the most important commandment? What was his, what was his response? The very first words out of his mouth is, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, soul mind, and strength. He's talking about, uh, above all else, we're to love God. God wants our hearts. He wants all of us. He doesn't want just a part of us. And so often we... We live in a world where so often it's really easy for us to worship other things. Now, this morning, as we talk about this, I thought about this. If Satan, the spiritual enemy, wants more than anything else to disrupt the thing that God wants the most, and God wants the most, our worship, our focus, our attention, where is, God, where is Satan going to focus his attention? He's going to try to focus his attention on getting you and me, all of us, to worship other false gods, little g-gods. In our lives, that's his. That's his basic plan in our lives, and it was obvious uh, doing that Google search that he's succeeding in big ways, getting people to worship all kinds of little g gods uh, and putting false gods in the place of the one true God. It's called the sin of idolatry, and so today we're going to be looking at that. And the key thought for today is this: false gods promise what only the true God provides. False gods promise what only the true God provides. For instance, uh, would you say that in our world today that people, let's just be honest, people worship money? Yes? No? You can talk. Okay, you can talk. Okay, yes, okay, you would agree with that. People worship material possessions, money, things. The problem with money, and I mean worship, they spend a lot of their time, and whatever you worship you, is what you spend your time and your effort pursuing. And people do this because we believe, the, the thing is, is we believe that if we have enough money, we'll be happy and secure. Is that correct? Isn't that the lie that, that money tells us? Sure. 
We believe that. Let me tell you something, though. I don't care how much money you have, and you know this is a fact, that if you get cancer and you have three, 30 days to live, I don't care how much money you have. Is that going to give you security and bring you happiness? If your child is falling off the deep end of a cliff as a teenager and that you cannot get it, you know, I don't care how much money you have. It's not going to help you to have security and happiness in life. Money, in a sense, is a false god because false gods promise what only the true God provides. Now this morning what we want to do is we want to look at uh, the story of Elijah. Elijah, we talked about this last week, began to talk about the story of Elijah because Elijah is a guy who in the Old Testament has so much to say to us, to you and to me, about the world that we live in today. If you live in a world where you have financial stress, where you have, where you have stressors from the outside, where your world seems spinning out of control, where you, know, you feel insecure because of jobs, where you, you just have insecurity and, and stressors in your life, Elijah speaks to you and speaks to me. Last week we talked about Elijah and talked about Elijah was a, was a prophet who was called to confront a king, and the king's name was Ahab, and he had a wife named Jezebel. You've probably heard of her before. Uh, she's become so famous that uh, when you think of somebody, an evil woman, who do you usually call, call her? A Jezebel. And so she's become famous for that. And Ahab and, Ahab and Jezebel, the, the king and queen duo there, they were the, not, the, in succession of 19 kings before them of evil kings that had happened to come along in the history of Israel. And he was considered the worst of the worst. Ahab was. And one of the things on his long list of sin and wickedness that God was really opposed to him about was the fact that he had turned the people's hearts away from the one true God toward uh, some gods called Baal and Asherah. And as he had done that, he began to focus their attention to pull them in that direction. And so what he does is he sends the prophet Elijah to tell him that, that there's going to be this drought in the land. And the reason for the drought is because you have turned the hearts of the people away. And by doing that, what you're doing is it's, you're causing your own demise, your own downfall in a real sense. And what happens to him then is Elijah uh, confronts the king. And we saw that at the beginning of chapter 17 last week. And as we tease, he talks to him and tells him, he says, you know, there's going to be this drought in the land. And then we think it's going to be this big showdown right away. But God does something interesting. He sends him off for some preparatory preparatory, that's the right word, preparatory work. He sends him off to get him prepared for what he's going to do. And for the next two to three years, we see Elijah not confronting the king directly, but he, he kind of lays down this edict. There's going to be a drought in the land. It's going to be devastating because we're in an agricultural society and everything's dependent upon rain. And he sends him last week, if you were here, to a place called the Kareth Ravine. The Kareth Ravine is representative of a place where God does preparation in our lives. And we talked about the word Kareth means cutting. It means cutting down to size. In a real sense, it's a symbolic thing about how God takes in our life some place in our life. We all go through these Kareth Ravines, these places in our life where God works in our life in a way where he begins to prepare us for what he wants, has in store for us down the road. And so for the next uh, few months, uh, uh, Elijah's in the Kareth Ravine, and then he's called to leave there, and then he goes to a place where he's going to learn total dependence upon God in this place where he's in this lady's house who is a, who's a, wit- a widow who has one son, and he goes through this whole process there. You can read in chapter 17. We talked about that last week. And we see the prophet developing into the man of God that God wants him to become. And now this week what we want to talk about is we see finally... At the beginning of chapter 18, 
It says this, After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. After finally, after laying down this, this edict almost three years before, he finally is called by God, You're prepared, you're ready, go and do what I've called you to do. Go and talk to, to Ahab. And that's where we pick up the story. And in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 and 18, it says this. When he finally encounters Ahab, it says this. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Now that word troubler doesn't sound very harsh, does it? That's kind of a nice way of saying what it says. Really the word troubler could be, could be uh, uh, used in the same way, uh, you snake, you viper. And those are still kind of nice ways. Now, I can't use the words that he would really use because this is a worship service in church. But in a real sense, if you think of the, you know, uh, my dad was in the Navy. He learned to speak Navy speak. It took a long time for him to be deprogrammed from that after. I remember as a child, sometimes it would slip out of dad some things, you know, that, you know, some words. You know what I'm talking about, right? Cursing. I mean, it was like, you know, so in a real sense, what it is here, and I'm saying to you this, is when Ahab saw Elijah, he didn't say to him, oh, you troubler of Israel. No, he cursed him. This was like a curse. This was like saying, oh, you think of the worst thing somebody could call you, that's what he was calling him at this point in time. Basically, he was saying to him, he's saying, you're the problem. You're the one that caused this drought. Ahab wouldn't take responsibility for it. He said, you're the problem, Elijah. And then Elijah turns right around to the king, who was the king, the, the person who had ultimate control in that land, the person who was the worst of the worst of 19 kings in a row. And as he came to him, what he did is he says to him this in verse 18, he says, no, I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's command and you have followed the Baals. I've made problems for you. And basically what he's saying to him, he said, you're committing the sin of idolatry. You're the one who's caused all this. You're the putting false gods ahead of the one true God. Now, you probably have not uh, used these words before, but there's two words that we use in seminary called monotheism and polytheism. And it's real easy to understand. Theism means God, mono, one, poly, multiple. Okay, that's all it means. And as Christians, we call ourselves what? Monotheist. Now, you probably don't go around and say, oh, I'm a monotheist. You know, you don't use that term, do you? But that's really, in reality, is what we are. We believe that there's one true God. But Elijah was in a world where there was a culture, a very, uh, very overt culture, that they believed that there was multiple gods. There was all kinds of gods, Baal, Asherah. And you just name a whole list, a laundry list of gods. And so it was very common for people to believe in multiple gods at the same time not the one true god that's what he was combating here and you're going like well we don't live in a culture like that do we Mm. we're not as overt but we do you know truly i believe many of us most of us all of us uh who call ourselves christians we say that we're monotheist but we practice polytheism we do We have other things in our lives that become gods for us. 
things that we spend much of our time, much of our effort worshiping, spending time focusing our attention upon, our energies upon. Uh, I mean, I've said this before, if I want to know what's most important to you, all I have to do is look at your checkbook and your calendar or PDA or whatever it is you keep your, you know, whatever it is technology-wise that you do it now, you know. Or, or matter of fact, I don't have to do that anymore. All I got to do is if you, if you blog or use Twitter or Facebook, I can know exactly what you're doing because some of you spend a lot of time doing that. And so I can keep, you know, not that I want to keep up with that or even care, but uh, the issue is, is that if somebody wants to know where, where you spend your time, that's all they have to do, Right? If somebody was to look at your blog, your Twitter, or your your, twe- you tw- your tweets, that's what Twitter's things are, right? I don't know exactly what you call them. But, uh, or, you know, Facebook, and look at what you do, why would, they, would they say that you are monotheist, or would they say you're a polytheist? Would they say that you focus your attention as fully possible upon God, or, or is it upon a whole bunch of stuff that kind of keep you distracted from the one true God? So, in a real sense, even though we don't have this overt, overt world like Elijah had, where people were, you know, having these Baals and, and Asherahs and, and other gods as well out there, we live in a world that's very similar. The question for us today is this, what are the false gods that you serve? What are the false gods that you and I serve? What are the things that we put ahead of God? Sometimes, I have to tell you personally, sometimes I have made the church my God. You're going, well, the church is about God. No, 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 no. The church is the organization, the, the, the thing that God uses to bring his purposes in the world, but the church is not God. Sometimes I've used my job, my, my uh, the thing is, growing the church, serving the church, that's become almost the idol in my life. I have to admit that. Sometimes my family has become my God. There's been periods of time in my life when I've spent much and much, much of my time focusing all my energy on my family, to the detriment of my relationship with God. So I ask you, what are your gods in your life? What are the gods in your life? I'd ask you to be honest because some of us have false gods we've elevated and we've erected to the place where God should be alone. The sin of idolatry, sure we're monotheistic in our beliefs, but our practices tend to be very polytheistic in our world today. Now, Elijah the prophet makes a very prophetic and strong statement in regard to this whole concept But what's going on. He looks at the people, what, what they're doing. They're going back and forth. They're kind of, they're kind of like this. They're, what they're trying to do is they're trying to ride the fence. You know what riding the fence is, right? You know what happens when you ride the fence too much? You get splinters because you can't do it. Or you fall off one side or the other. You cannot sit literally. You can't in your life ride the fence. You need to decide which side you're going to get on, you know? Riding the fences of you that we so often have, like when people are waver between two opinions, they can't make their mind up what they're going to do. That's what riding the fence is. And in a real sense, what Elijah does today in the scripture we're going to look at, he tells people, quit riding the fence. Make a choice. Make a choice about what you're going to do. He says, "This is if you could make one statement about chapter 18 of 1 Kings, it's this. People... It is time to quit wavering. It's time to quit wavering. You know, if you're having struggles in your life, if you're going through a time of stress, if you're going through a time of uncertainty, one of the major solutions to that is to quit riding the fence. 
It's only causing you more anxiety in your life. It's only causing you more problems because you can't ride the fence. Verses 19 through 21 of 1 Kings chapter 18 says this. The king says, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel. What he does is that Elijah, when he encounters, he encounters uh, King Ahab, he says to him, okay, we're going to have a test. We're going to talk about this thing. We're going to decide once and for all who is the one true God. We want, I want the people to understand this thing that you've been doing. And the thing you've been doing is this t- telling people to worship Baal and Asherah. But instead, God wants, you to, wants the people to only worship him. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a, a throwdown. Showdown, throwdown, whatever. They call them throwdowns now in wrestling, right? I don't know. I don't really get into that stuff. But anyway, they have this, it's going to have this contest. And this contest is between the gods of Baal and Asherah and the, and the God and the one true God of Jehovah God. And he says, King, now summon the people from all over Israel. He says, I want everybody to show up. You get as many people there up on Mount Carmel as possible. And then this is what I want you to do. And bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, let me ask you something. You think you're going to have a big bunch of people over for Thanksgiving? Think about this table. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, uh, 850 people, if I can do the math. Plus, whoever else has to be in the household. I mean, that's the people that eat every day at this table. It was a big table. There's a lot of people there. So he's inviting all these prophets. In that day and age, it was shown, you know, whatever prophet or whatever God was, the, was the, the big God had the most prophets. And so we see these, these guys have lots and lots. I mean, these guys, uh, these, these gods have lots of people who uh, follow them. And these prophets are going to show up, he says. He says, have them show up. So Ahab sent word throughout all the Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. And then Elijah went down before, went before the people, and then he asked this question. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you waver? Then he says this. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And then it says this. But the people said nothing. What a bunch of wimps. I mean, they can't make up their mind about who to follow. I mean, they're going around, they're going, uh-oh. I mean, we, we, don't, want to make, we don't want to make a choice. We live in a world because, that we have so many choices so often that we so often are, are paralyzed with fear to make choices. And what, what Elijah is saying to these people and what Scripture is saying to us is we have to make a choice in life about who we're going to follow. You can't keep one foot, you know, on, on this side of the fence and one foot on this side of the fence and be very comfortable very long. We need to make a choice. Quit wavering. What are you going to do? I believe if Elijah were here today, he'd say the same thing to us, exact same thing. He'd say, quit wavering. He'd say, you know, he'd say, quit wavering. I mean, you want, you know, some people say, well, I want God to keep me out of hell and get me into heaven. That's what I really want. But I really don't want to follow all the other stuff that he wants me to do. Or I want God to, uh, to bless me, but I don't want to obey his commands. Or I want to... I want all the good things to come from God, but I wanna, don't want to stop my bad things that I do. And, and Elijah would say to us, quit wavering. You can't have both. 
just quit wavering. Now, Elijah's message for today basically is this. If your false god, your little g god, whatever it is, really is God. Now, what he's saying, he says, you know, if Baal's God, follow him. If Jehovah God is God, follow him. He's saying to us, he would be saying to us, if, if whatever your little g god is, then sell out to it. This is literally what the, the message is here. He's saying, quit wavering. You know, if, you, if you're going to do it, do it with all the gusto you have. I think that was a beer commercial a few years ago, right? In a real sense, that's what he's saying. I mean, it came, came straight from Elijah. But the thing he's saying here is this. If mater- this. Let me give you a true example. If material possessions, if money, if material possessions are your God, sell out to it. Quit trying to do it halfway. I mean, if material possessions, if they really are so important that you need to pursue them, then just quit kind of sort of accumulating. Go for it. I mean, you know, go into massive debt. Be as po- selfish as you possibly can because when you're giving, that kind of, it kind of goes backwards on accumulation, right? I mean, uh, if the greatest thing is accumulation, then everything you, you do should be justified. I mean, if you want to steal, steal because if accumulation is the God that you follow, then go for it. Don't do anything that would diminish your ultimate goal of accumulating. If accumulating is your, truly your God, then go for it. Or if your career is your goal. Guys, let me talk to you for a minute. If your career is your goal, then just don't halfway go for it. Go for it. I mean, spend 100 hours a week at work. Ignore your wife, your kids. Do whatever it takes to get ahead. If your career is your, is your God, then go for it. Women, if your kids are your God, go for it. Ignore your husband totally. Spend every waking moment doing everything you can for your kids. Don't worry if divorce is, 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 the, is in the horizon because, you know, you have no relationship. Well, don't worry about that. Go for it. That's what Elijah said. Go for it. If, if that's going to be your little G-God, go for it. But then he says this at the end of all. He says, but if God, if Christ, the Son of God, is the one true God, then quit wavering. Serve him with all of your hearts. Quit trying to ride the fence. Trust him with your time, your talents, your resources. Go for it. Because if you're not, you're going to be in pain all of your life. One of the problems we have in life is we try to twit, we kind of waver back and forth and back and forth. And it causes us nothing but pain. We all know that. Elijah's just pointing it out. So he says to us, this, this thing he says to him, he says, Hey, if Baal's your God, go for it. Man, make him the, your, your big G God, not your little G God. But if God, Jehovah God is your God, go for it. So what, he, what does he do? He has a test to prove who the one true God is, so we'll pick up on the story and see what happens. Verse 24, he says this. Then you call on the name, you're, uh, he says, when they bring all the people up there, they get all the prophets of Baal up there, and he says this. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of, my, of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Sounds like a fair test? And all the people said, what you do is good. What you say is good. And you know Why? 
You know what Baal was, was the uh, god of? Sun god. Fire. Shh. Man, if there's one thing that a sun god should be able to do, it's it, it shoot fire down, right? So I'm there going like, wow. I mean, you're, you're a toast, Elijah. I mean, the sun god is going to just wipe you out. But Elijah knew he was just a false god. He knew he wasn't a real god. So Elijah, he believed in that. But you know, he was still standing before 850 prophets and a whole bunch of people to prove this because he believed in the true God. And then in verse 26, Scripture says, So they took the bull, the prophets of Baal, took the bull uh, given by them and prepared it. Then they, used, they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. Duh. No one answered. I mean, it's, can you imagine? It's like you going out and taking your little G-God, your, you get a pile of money, you know, laying it on the floor down, dance around it from day and night, you know, go, oh, please, call that fire. You know, it's not going to do anything. It's just, just as stupid as that. It's just as foolish. But they do it. They, they began doing this, and they danced around the altar they had made. We don't dance, we don't, we don't get excited about stuff like that in our world, do we? You ever seen Extreme Home Makeover? Remember when they go, move that! But, yeah, you know, and what do the families do? Ah! Ah! And they go crazy. You've seen it, right? I've seen it. And they get all cheery. Because, you know, they get all excited. Now, you wouldn't do that. Anybody at a football game yesterday? Menomore, Washington, Richwoods, whatever. <clears throat> Not yesterday. Uh, Washington was Friday night. But you never get excited, right? You don't jump up and down and scream. No, we don't do that kind of thing. We're more sophisticated than that. Um, so nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then... And I love it. Then Elijah does something that I cannot believe he does. I mean, this guy's in front of 850 prophets of Baal, King Ahab, the guy that can just wipe him out right in one second if he wants to. He does all this. You know, nothing happens. And then he begins to do this. He begins to mock them. Verse 27. At noon, Elijah begins to taunt them. He says, shout louder. Surely he is a god, he uses a little g, perhaps he is deep in thought or busy. Now, I've got to take a side for a minute here. The word busy in Hebrew is an interesting word. <laughs> I thought about, I'm going to share it with you anyway, I don't care. Um, the word busy, if you have the, the Hebrew, it can mean either he's gone hunting or he's relieving himself. <laughs> Literally, it means that. I mean, here is, here is Elijah taunting. He says, you know, you know, the God, you know, your God, you know, perhaps he's deep in thought, or maybe he's reading the newspaper, like most guys do. Or he's traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. <laughs> so what did they do when he, ta- he taunted him? It says, we won't read the next few verses, but the next 28 through 35, basically it says they began to shout louder. They did exactly what Elijah said. <laughs> like that's going to wake up their God, this false God. And they begin to do that. And then it says they begin to cut themselves. That's kind of part of their process there. They begin to do all these things because they were at wit's end. You know, their God wasn't doing anything. So finally, at the end of the day, they danced, they cut themselves, and nothing happened. 
And then Elijah does this, 1 Kings 18, verses 36 and 37. The time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah, that means the time, okay, they'd already done all their sacrifice. Now he sets up, and the verses tell about how he does this. He sets up the altar, rebuilds the altar to the God that had been torn down. He puts his bull upon He goes through this whole process. You can read all about that there. And he begins, he pours water over it. He does all this stuff to prove, you know, this is, this is not just dry stuff. This is, you know, water-soaked wood, and there's a bull upon it as well. And it says that at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Oh God, now, he, now notice, the prophets of Baal were shouting and screaming and dancing, you know, and extreme makeover, you know, doing stuff. They were doing all that stuff. And what is, Elijah does, he calmly gets up and he, he begins to pray to God, probably passionately. <laughs> I've been passionately praying at that time. And he begins to passionately pray. He says, Oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all the things at your command. You know, he had been through the Kareth Ravine. God had prepared him for this. He had spent two years at a widow's house with a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and, and, and a, a grain and, a, and, and a containers that continuously was, miraculously God kept providing. He had learned obedience. He had learned to follow God during those times. This wasn't just a shallow faith that was learned, oh, let's just have faith and just, you know, it was, it was, this was a faith that was deep. And he says, I've done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that so... And this is why he says this. Not so you can be, make a big deal, but so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. See, he was not talking to people that didn't understand who God was. These are people who had followed God at one time, the one true God. And their hearts had been turned away to the little g-gods. And now he prays this, this prayer. He prays this prayer. Can you see Elijah's heart in those statements? He's saying, you know, God, more than anything else, I want your, your will to be done. I want you to be glorified. I want you to be the person that people, you're the God that people worship with all of their energy, with all of their heart. They believe in you and you alone. When I look at that, you know, that's the, that's the thing that I desire for us as a church. I know that God desires that as a church, that we would worship God, big G God, not the little G gods that we have in our life so often. That, our, that we spend our energy, yeah, it's all right to have hobbies, it's all right to have other things in your life. It, I love to go to football games, you know, I'll be there jumping up and down too. But that doesn't, ultimately when the game's over, and you know, I'm sorry that Washington lost, Okay. And when Metamora loses and, you know, Rich, well, I don't know who's going to win and lose, but it doesn't really matter. I know that's heresy. But the thing is, <laughs> if we make them our big G gods and when they lose, you know, that becomes our, we were devastated. But the issue is, is that God wants us to understand that ultimately in life, the only thing we should be devastated about really in life is when the big G God is not worshipped and not honored. That should devastate us. That should break our hearts. And more than anything else, Elijah is saying, hey, we quit wavering. Make a choice. Go for it. And the reason you're so messed up, folks, and he's saying to these folks, and he's saying to us, is because you haven't made a choice. You try to keep riding the fence, try to you know, be on both sides at the same time. It doesn't work. He says, turn your hearts 
back to him again. And then he prays, and in verse 38 it says this. Watch what happens. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil. Not just the, not just the wood. It burned up the sto- stones and the soil around it and also licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! That would be our prayer for us. That that's what we would, that's what we would say. But let me tell you something. I thought about this. I'm going like, you know, if we saw fire from heaven, man, duh. I mean, wouldn't we think that God is Lord? Yeah. The problem is, is that we see this all the time in scripture throughout the, you know, God does miraculous things. People exclaim him as God and then they turn away from him after a while. Go through this cycle. It doesn't stick. So why doesn't God show himself like that today? Why doesn't, you know, like a prayer up here, you know, God, burn a ball. No, I don't want him to burn the boxes, no. Because uh, y'all spent too much time getting these together for these children overseas. But the thing is, is that, you know, why does he do that? Well, I thought about that. You know, 2,000 years ago, he did something more miraculous than burning up stones. He came as a person into the world, as a man into the world to encounter us face to face in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And he proved that he was not only master of fire, but he was master of life and death. He proved to us through what he did upon the cross that he cares more for us than we even care for ourselves. That he'll do anything for us, even though we don't deserve any of it. You know, if Elijah were living here today, I think he'd say, Bill, quit wavering. If you know God for who he is, you know, I, I, you, you and I alike will be tempted to serve false gods every day. Every day we have to make a choice. Are we going to serve the one true God? How are we going to spend our time? How are we going to spend our energies? What are we going to focus our, our life upon? He would say to you, which God are you serving? Little G God. Because if you're serving a little G God, your life will not be the way it needs to be. And if you want to get out of the mess, quit riding the fence. Choose the one God and go for it. That's the lesson of Elijah for this week. Next week we talk about how to seek God with all of our hearts through prayer. Chris is going to speak next week. Then the following week, we're going to end this series by telling you how to get depressed in four easy steps. <laughs> but the good news is, also, Scripture also tells us Elijah was, was perfect in this, how to, how to deal with depression as well. And so I'm going to share with you about that. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.